Are we on? Everything's going, yeah. Right, so shall I do a ta- cannon time? Cannon timer. Hey Siri, can't time 28 minutes. <laughs> We're rolling. We're on. Let's do the credits. Should we start writing some lyrics for the intro? I don't think that's no. a good idea. No, I, I, think, I think we should steer clear of singing on this podcast. Just instrumental yeah, music. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, welcome back to uh, the Creative Pursuit podcast brought to you by the team at Northern Powerhouse Media. I'm Adam Burkett. And I'm Scott Edwards. Um, thanks for listening to us on podcast number... Six? I'll believe you if you say it's six. It says six on this note. So Let's, go six. Six. <laughs> Let's go with six. Let's go with six. Today's episode, we're delighted to welcome into into our podcast studio, uh, Mr. Ian Turpin. Hi, Ian. Hi. Thanks for coming in. Um, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Um, Ian, I'll do a little introduction to Ian before we get into our conversation. I know Ian because Ian was my first photography teacher. Uh, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to you for getting me into this caper in the first place. Um, so we met about, I think, 2018 when right. I first started. Um, at Sir John Dean's College in Northwich doing night school stuff. I think it was just my wife's way of getting me out of the house, to be honest with you. Uh, she bought me a, a cheap DSLR and said, you'll probably enjoy this. And sure enough, you um, you completely sort of lit the fuse in terms of my photography stuff and you really inspired me. I went on, I think in that first year, the three courses that I did with you, I think I, I took more than 20,000 photos. <laughs> just obsessed. Like, I wouldn't leave the house without my camera. I took pictures of absolutely everything um, and tried to learn as fast as I can. Um, so a little bit about you. I'll, I'll just reel through this and we'll go off into some sort of bits and pieces. You sent me a fantastic bio <laughs> slash book. Yeah, it was a bit long. <laughs> <laughs> but there was loads of juicy stuff in it. I think fascinating sort of talking uh, how you spoke about your journey through photography. And, and I think it gives us a lot of nice little offshoots in terms of sort of things we can talk about in terms of creativity. So you start, you first took a couple of photos at the age of 12. Um, yeah. and, and this was with the Kodak Instamatic. Yes. Which was very, very limited in its capability, yeah, it's fair yeah, yeah. to say. So how, how is it limiting in terms of its capability? So it was back in, I guess it would have been back in the 70s, maybe early 80s. It has one shutter speed, one aperture, and you can only control the ISO with the film. So if you wanted to put high-speed film in there, you were then limited to be shooting in kind of overcast or low-light situations. And if you then took the camera out into the sunshine, you'd end up with massively overexposed photos. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's written on the bottom of the camera, but it's a 50th of a second, which also means you've got to be fairly steady. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to end up with blur. Yeah. F11 kind of meant that... Everything Everything's would be kind of sharp. In, in focus. Well, sharp, it was... All right, <laughs> <lenses>. in focus. <laughs> the lens is made of a little piece of plastic, so... Um, but it meant that... I wasn't really thinking. I was just a kid, and yeah. I was taking pictures of stuff, and it had a flashbulb thing that went on the top that revolved round when you advanced the film and you got four shots and then you had to throw it away and get a new one. Mm. Um, like a plastic cartridge thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. remember them, yeah. It's keep changing the flash as well as the yeah, film. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah, every for every, and and it was a it was a money thing. It was good, you know. My parents taught me um, how to manage money really with yeah. it because when I ran out of film, it was like I've got no film, mum. <laughs> and and, and, and she'd be like, like, "All right, good, okay, do the washing up, wash, mow the lawn, wash the car." And so I, 
it got me. If I wanted more film, I would have to work for it. Um, yeah. So it was a good, it was a good kind of working ethos. But then obviously, as soon as I had the film, I went back to being lazy me again <laughs> <laughs> until I needed more. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a good, a good life lesson, isn't it? How, how, many, how many photos were on the roll? Uh, oh, tw- 24, I think. 24. Yeah. So when you think about it in like comparing it to digital now. I know. It's, it's, it's mad. We were just saying before, like when we shoot a wedding, we'll take like 4,000 photos in a yeah, day yeah. or something. And then the amount of work to do afterwards, <laughs> just, just like... Just sifting just, through before you start editing. Just doing the cull, yeah. and then your second cull, and then your third cull, and then you might end up with a couple hundred good shots at the end of it. Yeah. You just have to think so differently, I suppose, with film cameras. Yeah, and, and it's that, that process, when you've finished, you would then send it off, and it would be a week or two weeks before you would get the packet back with, mm. the, with the photos in, and it would be like come in a little paper wallet, and you'd be able to open it up, and you would... You would get the negatives in there, but they were so small you couldn't really make head and tail of them. But you'd have this pack of, of prints. Mm. And those prints then, you could, if you didn't like them, you would physically throw them away. And then you would keep and put in an album the ones you wanted to keep. Whereas with a computer, it's so easy to just download your 4,000 photos, look at the ones you like, leave them on there, and then probably never go back to them again. And they just stay on a hard yeah. drive for the yeah, rest of yeah, time. Yeah. And you yeah. never get seen. Never get seen. No. So you I never get to go in the loft and then sift through all right. your old That's photos right. that are all covered in dust. Yeah. Well, I remember my dad doing slideshows in the front room, yeah. you know, like it's analog medium, which meant that you had to have something physical yeah. to view it in some way. Yeah. Um, I've recently got into back, got back into vinyl music. And it's just, yeah, it's a money sink. <laughs> yeah. It's not cheap. You know, I went to, I went my to, wife isn't over the moon about HMV this. the other day, and it was. I thought it said three for five pound fifty, and I thought, oh, is vinyl going out again? Five hundred fifty, and it was three three albums for fifty five quid. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh. but that's quite good. Oh, God. <laughs> is it? Depends what you're going. Jeez. But the problem is with vinyl, of course, you've got first pressings and heavy pressings and like picture discs. And like, oh, yeah, I've got this special version. Oh, it's eight hundred fifty quid, sir. You know, there's all that kind of. Yeah, so um, that, as you say, that's a sink for the money. But it, my point I was going to say is it's just in terms of an analogue medium for art of some sort. And I think with digital photography, in the same way that CDs and digital music has kind of taken away um, the journey and the, the process involved of, yeah. of a thing at the end of it, a physical thing that you can hold. I've, one of the reasons I've got back into it is I just like, there's a few reasons. One, I just like seeing a turntable playing music something actually happening over there I love sitting there to listen to the album without doing anything else whereas I listen to digital music I can stick it on whilst I'm cooking or whatever if I'm listening to a record I'm listening to the record and I'm sat there with the album sleeve and I'm looking at the lyrics and who wrote it and the artwork and the whole story and it all comes together and I feel the same about film photography it's not just about the image I mean the image is the, the, the net result but how do you then, what do you then do with that image? Do you print it? Do you, you know, it, it, there's a story to be told in terms of what device has been used to create the image, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And that for me is all about, it's a story. And I think storytelling is just such an important part of all creative it's arts. It's a huge part of it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Play, uh, I mean, what is a song at the end of the day? It's a story, isn't it? Or a lot of the songs I listen to, they're all kind of stories or mm-hmm. trying to say something. Classical music. They were all stories, weren't they? I don't 100%. know if you remember No, oh, it's gone now, that, that classical piece of classical music. Peter and the Wolf, there we go. Right. That had lots of different um, 
parts smaller chapters yeah 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 Yeah. Uh, i think it's the same i i I get more engaged with the art if i understand the process more and i'm not that interested in the process when it's all digital it's a means to an end and i'm grateful for it in what we do for a living because the idea of going to shoot a wedding in film terrifies me, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know, like that mission critical job and you've got 10 rolls of film in your back pocket. Yeah. Like, honestly, it makes me like breathless. I'm assuming there are them. still people shooting totally. wedding on film. Totally. Yeah. And, and I take my hat off. Add. Yeah. That'd be a value add for them. And then there is, a, yeah. there is a demand for people who want somebody to come and shoot their wedding on film. Yeah. But the, the insurance that's involved, because I had a friend who was a wedding photographer, he has to take out enough sh- insurance to shoot, to do redo the whole wedding again, to do the photos. No if his To put the wedding on again? Yeah. What? Just to take the photos. Right. I don't even know what to say to that. That's that is just, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> mind-blowing. And it would just terrify I mean, the pants off me. Me and Holly, my girlfriend, did a wedding last summer. From some, it was someone she used to work with, I think, or went to college with, and um, one of the cameras only had one memory card slot in. Oh no! <laughs> no, no, I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that. That was terrible because it popped up with a little error message saying it was full, um, and to swap the memory cards. But as we took the memory card out, it popped up with this error message, so we had to put the old card back in and click yes or no. I mean, like, which one do we click? And uh, yeah, that that for me was all the while the wedding is going. Yeah, on oh, you. I mean, just yeah. sh- it just makes me shudder. Yeah. The idea of it, it really <laughs> does. I, I um, I start when I started doing commercial photography. I had I, my, my, I had Canon six D was my camera, and it just had the one card slot, and I never had a problem with it. I have to say because I think the technology is better. But yeah, yeah. a lot of people who've been speak who've been shooting for three or four years, I've never had a problem. But if you speak with someone who's been shooting. 20 years there's a they've always had an issue with a memory card at yeah. some point so as soon as i started being paid for work i was like right i need a camera with two card slots yeah not not something you can do with a film camera and no. you can't even reference your work as you go you can't check a nice little screen on the back and check your exposures right and that you're in well, focus and some some people some some of the professional photographers will actually carry polaroids around and they'll they'll shoot a photo with a polaroid first just to make sure to check exposure and stuff to make sure that the exposure and the composition all looks good and then they'll actually take it with film clever okay. but that's that's kind of reserved for people doing like high fashion and stuff like that would you it's ever have someone who's got a camera holster with like a digital camera on one a film on the other so you take it digitally yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> i've done that have you I, I did to check exposure wedding. and stuff i did a friend's wedding and i wanted to do it on film but then i thought because mm, have you got the balls the so i took a digital camera because for that exact reason yeah you don't want to turn around to somebody and say oh, i'm really sorry that the development went off i mean it must have happened all the time yeah yeah and, and it was different back then you know now you're expected to do amazing creative imagery back then it was kind of like can you come and take some formal fo- photos of the family yeah, yeah, and outside yeah. the front of the church and whatever and then you go home yeah. it's a different deal I suppose yeah. in years gone by whereas expectations of wedding photographers now I mean some of the photographers I've, I've worked with are psh, exceptionally talented yeah. what they can do on, on, a, on a wedding yeah, day. Yeah. make it into a, a, shoot, a proper studio shoot you know it's the same with video as well actually because I um I made a wedding video last year and um, I got my mum to watch it through to, before I sent it over. I was like, can you just watch this? And she's like, how long is it? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it's about five minutes. And because her wedding video with my dad 
was like three hours long. Yeah. It was they filmed the whole day. Mm-hmm. No edits. No edits. Much like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's changed completely now because like a wedding video is like a little movie. Yeah. Essentially. Cinematic seven yeah. minutes yeah. Of, of beautiful imagery. Yeah. 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 We got into trouble with it actually. We we um we before I had even got into cameras, um we through the events company us we sold videography as to a wedding. And we just mismanaged the expectations of the client. And we delivered a beautiful seven-minute thing. They were like, where's the rest of it? Really? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> there's some difficult conversations. <laughs> and we ended up just having to send them all the rushes of just like terrible, oh. shaky camera stuff. And just like, that's everything. And they were very happy with that. No way. Yeah, that's what they wanted. Old school, I suppose, really. They didn't want the, the sexy cinema seven minutes, you know. Wow. So anyway... That was the beginnings for you. Mm. This little, and I know you brought it with you as well. We had a quick look at it before. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing that you've kept your first camera. Oh, I haven't. It, I had to buy it again on eBay. I oh, did it? It's not the. It's not the same I'm not one. that competent uh, to, to, to keep something for that long. Uh, no, I, I bought it. I think it, it came in a bag of cameras that were all the same for a fiver on eBay. So right, right, right. Yeah, went for it. So that was the beginning. That was age twelve. Um, and then in your notes, you say that you got into music in quite a big way when you're sort of yeah. about sixteen. Yeah, yeah. So sort of photography got put on the back burner yeah, for a did, little while. Yeah, yeah. And it's quite, I just find it interesting, like the number of people we speak to. We've spoke about this before. On the podcast, we've actually spoken about this. Yeah. The number of people either in music who get into f- photos and videos or people into photos and videos who get into music, it's more than a coincidence. You reckon? Definitely. It's a freakish There is thing. 100% something in it. We, look, we, yeah. we, we did a bit of research on it and there's loads of very well-known artists who also happen to be very competent photographers yeah, and yeah. vice versa. And I don't, I, I, we still haven't got to the bottom of why that is, but it, just, it was an interesting observation that it was the same for you. You went into music. Yeah, I, I think it's, an, it, it's born of a need to create, really. I think, you know, you, you talk about this podcast being talking about creating. I, th- I think it's born out of a need to create. And photography, music, writing acting there's all sorts of different um different ways that you can do it creativity is such a broad yeah, church yeah. isn't it yeah. and, and i think if you're a creative now you get, if you get your kicks from creativity then it's not such a big pivot to go from one type of creativity to another i suppose um i didn't realize how much i needed a new creativity when i started doing your courses um because at, at that point i'd been a professional musician for 15 20 years but I'd monetized it. I'd made it into a commodity that I sell to people. And the, the amount of creativity I got to do within that I was, was less all the time. And I, didn't, and I sort of was kidding myself. Oh, yeah, I'm a creative. I do creative stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a band and I, I sell music and I'm on stage all the time. And, I, and when I picked up a camera, I was like, oh, here's an outlet. I can actually be creative. I didn't realize it really amplified it for me. Um, but it, it wasn't the biggest switch. And as you know, from my work at the Guinea, I was just, I had access to all these gigs because they were yeah, my yeah. gigs. Yeah. So I just got out there with a camera, you know. Can I just check that Ian's mic is? Yeah, I think so. Are we all good? Just yeah. say a Do few things. Say, <laughs> oh, say something that, interesting. That does sound better. Actually, it does sound better. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I, I might not have had these adjusted properly. Oh, my, was, <laughs> I just didn't want to get to the, because we don't edit our podcast. <laughs> Imagine having a nice long chat and going, oh, right, we've not recorded Ian. That would be fantastic. <laughs> We'd, you'd have to get you back tomorrow. Um, so when you got into music, did you stop doing photography for a while? Yeah, I'm a I was going to say proper bloke, but I can only really concentrate on one thing at once. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm the same. When, when I, 
it was really, it was just a bunch of mates at school, and I, I did grade one, but I was forced to do grade one piano as a kid, yeah. um, which I hated, but then all of a sudden it became really, really useful when when it was like, oh, what what can you play? And I had a Casio keyboard, which... Oh, no, it has gone. Yeah, it has gone. Is it, uh, Is it a cable? Oh, you're back. Is it a cable issue? I don't know. Just make sure the cable on the bottom of the mic is in properly. Yeah, that feels like... Let's see how we go. We can hear you again. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to edit it out. We'll leave it in. (laughs) It's authentic. It's authentic. Yeah, it is what it is. So, sorry, carry on. So, so yeah, it was... I forgot what I was saying now, but it was just playing the keyboard in a, in, yeah. a, in a silly but we were just silly school kids really messing around doing songs about the the bullies and all the other different people that you yeah, have in, in right. the school and, and it's a great outlet for a teenager yeah and, and we did we'd, we'd use sound effects like the hoover and door slamming to, to do all these sound effects it was real low brow low tech stuff but because it was like the mid 80s I, th- I think I watched a YouTube video the other day about uh, the, the most popular song every month since 1980. And once it got to about 95, everything started to sound the same. Yeah. And uh, it made me think that th- there was an awful lot of creativity around at the time, certainly in music, which was a huge influence on my life. Um, and then when I hit, like, 17, my, bro- my brother's he's a cellist. He was he was grade 8 cello, and he was playing at the Royal Albert Hall and stuff. And... and uh, he picked up the guitar. He could pick up any instrument and get a tune out of it. Yeah. Anything. People used to do it as a joke. Yeah. Um, and so he played the guitar. I picked up the bass, <clears throat> bought a fretless one because I thought it looked cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you <laughs> really <laughs> understand what it meant. <laughs> I've never. How do they work? I've never understood. It's just like a cello on its you side. You just got to know where to to fret. Yeah. Yeah. So it's but just guessing ear. as yeah, to where you are. Use your ear. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. And I played it like Peter Hook out of New Order, so I played it like a fretted bass. <laughs> no idea what I was doing, but I had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun, and, and then when my brother went to university, that all kind of collapsed. And that's so. when you got back into cameras? No, no, I, d- no? I did a bit of writing. I, it oh. was, that was mostly mainly women and alcohol, I think, then, because I yeah. was in my early to mid-20s, yeah. so there was a good 10 years there until I started to settle down a bit and... and couldn't really go out and maintain that lifestyle anymore and it was it was a case of um girlfriend at the time she bought me a kodak easy share 2.2 megapixels yeah i'd look at that camera. before 2.2 megapixels so this was that your this is so this is early 2000s this is early 2000s yeah yeah so digital was just just coming in just coming in so 2.2 megapixels i mean on today's cameras it's it's crazy isn't it you know well if you think the monitors the most of the monitors that you were looking at it on were were eight by 600 monitors Mm. which which it was fine for that yeah right yeah i suppose that's the way to think about what's the medium in which it ends up i mean it looked crap now but Back then, it it, it, it was um, the it business. Was right. It was all right. Yeah. So, how did that piece of kit help you sort of get back <laughs> into into photography? It was just documenting, really. It was a lot of social documentary. I, I that's my kind of thing. Which you're really into, yeah, still, yeah, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. My, my my auntie, uh, when who was the one that got me into it because she had a waist level finder camera, and I remember as a kid looking at it and looking down to, to see out. And, and I couldn't get my head around it, and it was magical. I'm looking down into this box, and yet I'm seeing what's over there. Yeah. And I, I, it was that that really sort of got me into it. And a lot of her photographs were documentary, mm. and but it was where she'd been, the people she'd met, the places she'd been, and so I just did the same. And when I look back at those photos now, they're really really important because they're all my family, yeah, um, and and friends. 
and, and I've, I've, I've thankfully still got a record of all of those things going right back back to being 12 13 which it's is, amazing it's just because like, it's lovely. not it's not usually why you take the photo at the time no you don't realize that mm. it's importance that you might have years down the road yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that moment in time that's the thing i've always that's what made me fall in love with photography is that that Special. fraction of a second yeah, of, yeah. of a time that you'll never see again you've got a moment for it yeah you know and you framed it if you've composed it well and it's it's a nice I mean it's just magic isn't it yeah. yeah I mean even things like composition I don't think matter that much I mean no, you're it's right. nice yeah, it's you're nice right. to learn how to do it better doesn't matter though you're right it, it really doesn't matter you look at some of the great photos that have been taken over time and you look at the composition and you think yeah, it's not great that yeah. you know subject in the middle and no rule of what's going on yeah. and, and but they, they just work and, and I think that's what's that's what's really at the top of the most important list yeah. but what works depends on who's judging it and if that's if that's a judge, a photography competition judge, or if it's a client, or if it's Instagram that's judging it, then, mm. then there's all different criteria as to why it well, should be good. I, I've always sort of reverted back to, uh, you, my, your words ring in my ears quite a lot with regards to that in terms of what the photograph is for, who it's for. Because yeah. I think it's just such an important thing. I've, I've grabbed one of your quotes, actually. If, if you'll, Has it got swearing if you'll indulge in it? me. There's no <laughs> swearing <laughs> in it. But it, it, sums, it sums up what you're saying perfectly. Who are you taking this for? If it's for views or likes, then you need to take pictures that lots of people like. If it's for money, you need to deliver what your client wants. If it's for a competition, it needs to be what the judge is going to like. But if it's for you, you get to do what the hell you like, and nothing is wrong with that. I take pictures for me. Mm. Uh, for me, that's super inspiring stuff. Um, we take pictures for our clients. So, you know, our... our band of creativity is limited somewhat by whatever brief we've got given and sometimes we get more creativity within that and sometimes we get less but actually going out with a camera with nobody to please and no one to to give that image to than yourself i think must be the most liberate, liberating form of of photography um and i i think you've been on a bit of a journey i suppose you, you've worked within photography as a teacher and you've done other bits of a bit as bits of work I've read, I've read in your in your bio, but fundamentally you've come back to a place where you just take photography yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was dreading the question where where where, where you said do, do you uh, um, do you consider yourself to be a photographer? It's like well, I don't even know really what that means because I probably I don't I, I just enjoy taking pictures and I don't know whether that means I'm a photographer or not. I just I just enjoy doing it for me. I love doing it for me. Actually. But you've got to a place where you've got a lot of knowledge on photography enough to be a very very competent teacher so you can teach photography therefore you must be a photographer in in on that measure it doesn't mean that you necessarily what about the, what about the phrase those who can't teach <laughs> <laughs> all right it's a, it's a different angle on it i suppose but you have to be able to impart some knowledge on yeah. the subject yeah, yeah. and it I, I think with a lot of these things you learn all the stuff and then you if you're good enough you learn what to discard to yes. actually yeah. do the thing. And you can talk about rule of thirds and leading lines and all that kind of like you know, cookie cutter kind of photography. Yeah. Like everyone knows the rules of basic rules of photography and stuff. But it's only when you've learned all that stuff you know what, what you, you can, can do with it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I th I, it must surely be quite liberating for you when you've got a camera in your hand to be able to know what you like and how to get that image. And that's because yeah. of the knowledge you've got of learning photography. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I haven't really got anything to say to that because I think that's just spot on, really. Yeah. I, just, I just like taking pictures for me. And yes, they break a lot of rules. And yeah, my wife doesn't like a lot of it. But yeah. there's, there's some things she really, really does like. But it's like. for you. 
Yeah. And that, and if you're trying to please yourself with with your art, then then it's box ticked. Yeah. In that sense. So, what sort of photography do you like? What all sorts? I'd, if I had to choose what to do, I, I, I tell you, I, I'm not a big fan of like landscape photography. I think it's we're going to get hate in comments. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. No. Sorry, I've we'll put the firewall on. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll protect you from any of the abuse. <laughs> uh, I, I think landscape photography can be too easy, and I think. It, it annoys me when I see what's out there on YouTube, and it, uh, certainly from a lot of the big uh, photographer cha- photography channels who are who are there trying to get more more likes and more people wanting there. But a lot of the time, it's like if you go to the I mean, I went to the um, I went to Yosemite National Park. I did a road trip. I sort of flew into Los Angeles and drove up the West Coast, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, San Francisco, and I came home with some fantastic pictures. And it's like. It's almost impossible to go somewhere like the Grand Canyon or Yosemite and come away with bad pictures because the place is just amazing and yeah, incredible. It flatters you in that sense, yeah. And you get these people going to they're going to Iceland and Greenland and they're going to the Lake District. Even the Lake District is beautiful. You go to these beautiful places, it's really hard to walk away without beautiful pictures. The difficulty comes when you're on lockdown and you've got to walk around the fifty yards around your house. Can you make good pictures then? Yeah. And and, and if you can't, I think that can be really disheartening. But I, I like to try and make good pictures wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. Um, and I, I, that's the challenge I like. I like the fact that you try and deliver a story or a narrative. There's a story to yeah, be told. Yeah, there's, there's a point. There's a point, right. I think, I think when I go out and I'm taking pictures I'm, and I look at something I'm thinking right what is the point of this project I mean I've shown you some of the stuff I've, I've been working on I, c- I carry on doing little bits of it and it's like okay that would work well with this project and that would work well with that project and, and it's it's a reason to a reason to take pictures and my wife said to me before she said oh why you take a picture of that that's nice it's like what's what's the point and if she had a camera she'd take a picture of it she'd go home she'd look at it and go wow that's lovely mm. um, whereas I, I probably wouldn't take it and everybody's different in that in that regard Mm. I think you you highlight a lot of in your photography you highlight a lot of um, destruction is the wrong word but like normality I suppose like the, the, some of the stuff you've shown us before it's like you know empty beer cans on the side of a street and or yeah. whatever you know what I mean and I think a lot of photographers would go I need a nice clean image to get that shit out of the photo mm. and, do you know what I mean and you're going that is the photo yeah and I think for me that's just a really there's a lot we can all a lot of us can learn from that perspective of photography and taking taking photos of the ordinary but trying to s- tell a story behind it yeah i mean that was the that was the kind of the idea behind the ordinary photographer really is it's is to say it's okay it's okay to be ordinary you don't have to have um, a youtube channel with five million subscribers you don't have to be selling prints and, and making lots of money you can just enjoy it as mm. a hobby and i've come across with the teaching i've come across so many people who also feel that way they don't, they don't want to do anything with their photography. They just want to take better pictures and, yeah. and you know, take better pictures of their grandkids and things mm. like that, which is really, really important photography, far more important for me yeah. than going on holiday to somewhere exotic and taking that, that amazing picture. Of Yosemite or whatever. Yeah. So you can yeah. stick it on Instagram and get thousands of likes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so refreshing just to But, you know, you were, you were talking about the imposter syndrome thing and, and self-confidence. Yeah. A lot of people will get self-confidence from getting... 10,000 likes yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That, that, will, that will actually make... It's validation. Yeah. Is it dopamine rush? Yeah. 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 Keep checking back, check how many more likes yeah. I've got and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think if the output is 
to enjoy taking a photograph. Or And actually, I think that point about just being ordinary, um, we were talking with our previous guest about the same thing, but for singing, like people feel like, oh, I can't sing, <laughs> you know, or... <laughs> or you know, I know I can't sing. I'll tell you what, we'll just have a, a very quick pause because oh, it's cannon break oh, time, time already. <laughs> Time is set. Yeah, time is on. Cool. Um, yeah, we were talking um, about the same thing from a music perspective, in terms of what is success or, or what it, what is the what is the what is the music for? You know, everyone says they can't sing or whatever, but that's because we live in a world where um, people think being good at singing is I'm doing well in X Factor. Whereas actually the output might be I can sing my, my kids to sleep or I might be able to drive home and sing to my favourite record at the top of my voice. And that is actually what it's for. And everybody can sing. Don't need to be an amazing singer to sing. And you don't have to be a great photographer to take photo- photos. Uh, and it depends what the output is for, yeah, yeah. really. Um, so just going back to sort of how you got into sort of film photography, really. So you went on a photography course and bought um, a Canon 350D. We should probably set the alarm off. There's probably quite a yeah, lot of like, uh, geeky. Geek alert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to keep this podcast as inclusive as possible for everyone. So we can talk as much as we want about photography and cameras and stuff, but we need to make sure we explain it. Yeah. You know, what is ISO, what is aperture, what is shutter speed? We'll come, all, we'll come back to all that. But yeah, you, you bought a 350D. So it's a, 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 a fairly basic crop sensor um, digital camera and got back into photography. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in the course you were doing, was it an A-level course or was it a no, night, the, night the, course you were doing? The first, the first one I did was, to, um, it was, it was in North Richester. They've, they've, it's executive housing now, but it was a really old Victorian building and they had proper dark room in there. And, and it was just a NCFE, I can't even remember what that stands for now, but it was, I think it was a little bit below an O-level. It was about CSA standard okay. um, photography. Like a night class thing. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And the two lads that ran that, the first thing they did was say, you won't need your cameras for the first three or four weeks. Uh, and first week was in the library looking at people who've made a lifelong career out of photography, right. which at that time was all on film. Mm. Uh, and then the second, the, the, the next three weeks were all spent with film cameras and then in the dark room developing and, and printing. And it was, and the, the thing is, I got some good photos out of it. And it was like, oh, with I can, the, with I the do film stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't realise how easy it actually is yeah. i thought it was like much harder because i think a lot of people who have only ever done digital photography have this barrier in place with film i know what i'm doing that's really complicated you need a dark room yeah you need all this fancy kit and you need to know how to develop your own photos and all that kind of stuff and you've shown me and, and many others it's it's doable for anybody it is yeah yeah so so, so you got into the dark room yeah i did and i i, I bought a the, the canon ef lens mount um was originally designed for film cameras. And then when yeah. they brought their digital cameras out, they carry, carried on with the mount. So, because I had a 350D, I had, I had I think, a 50mm 1.8 and the kit lens that came with it. But I went and bought uh, an old film camera that had the same mount, and I could just right. plug the lenses onto it and Handy. go and take pictures with it. And yeah. the camera was like 20 quid, I think. It wasn't expensive. And amazingly, I was looking digital. the other day, you can still go and, back, go and get those sort of late um, film cameras with EF mounts. Yeah, yeah. And they're like... 
20 quid. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, they're and you can stick all your EF glass on it. I'm going to have to go and get one. So for those listening who aren't into Canon, EF is the mounting system, basically, for a certain type of lens to fit to a certain type of camera body. So it was developed by Canon, what, probably 30, 40 years ago, I'd imagine, yeah. um, for analog cameras, for film cameras. And then when they started doing the digital cameras, they kept the same mount. And it was only about three or four years ago that they developed a new mount, which is the RF mount, which is primarily for the mirrorless camera systems. So... You know, I suppose that was an ideal opportunity for, for someone to get into film photography because you've already got a couple of EF mount glass uh, yeah. lenses knocking around in your bag. I didn't realise it was that cheap to get into yeah. analogue photography. Got, if you've got EF lenses or the Nikon, whatever the Nikon equivalent is, Nikon were the same. Mm. They had their autofocus lenses for film cameras and then when they brought out their digital range, they kept the lens mount. So it's quite easy to, you can always dive back and so forth. the actual bodies aren't that expensive. Or you can pick yeah. them up for peanuts. I'm I'm gonna get myself into this. <laughs> it's a whole uh, way of losing. I've got, I've, got, I've got a Canon EOS one one V or something at home, which was a top of the line film professional camera from Canon. I think that was two hundred and fifty quid. Um, wow! And it's got all the functions that you would expect from a top of the line camera. Some of the older Canon ones had eye autofocus, which is not. It will focus on the eye. When you look through the viewfinder, wherever you look in the viewfinder, it, it registers your eye movement and it will focus on where you're See, that's something at. that the what, Canon that, yeah. R3 has just released. Oh, really? Yeah. It can do it now, can they? <laughs> <laughs> so they were trying it. They, uh, they had it working. When was this, roughly? Oh, 90s? I'm going to get that wrong. 90s. Noughties? I guess. That is Canon. Insane. They are. Oh, they're, having e- they're having you on, yeah. yeah. EOS 30 is what you want. That's a four and a half grand camera. R3 uh, with that tra- eye tracking business the EOS 30 I think you can pick up for about 50 quid on eBay they are they're <laughs> having us on <laughs> isn't oh. that amazing it doesn't work very well if you've got specs right, I, had to, okay. I had to turn it off because it only worked when I didn't have specs on and when I didn't have specs on I do couldn't you know, see anything the more we do this podcast the more I'm falling out of love with Canon yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're listening Canon <laughs> you're listening <laughs> yeah well we you know, it's all of a other story. Just honestly, most of the kit that we use is it's all digital, and it's all for commercial use. And it has to just, it has to perform at a level that makes our life easy on a shoot. I suppose it has to have the functionality it re- re- require, yeah, yeah. that we require. And um, I, st- I've always, ever since I started, I've used Canon cameras and built up a load of Canon lenses to to go on them, or, or Canon mount lenses. Um, but it's just recently we've moved over to these these uh, Panasonic Lumix cameras, um, and a lot of Sony and, Ca- and Canon users are doing the same. Yeah. So they've suddenly just made this massive step forward in what they can do. And as a hybrid camera, which is what we require because we yeah, do video yeah. and photo, there's, you're limited into. If you just wanted a stills camera, I'd just go and get R5 or R3 or whatever from Canon or the equivalent Sony's. But as a, as, a, as, a, as a hybrid camera, they, they really, really do well. But, um, yeah, we start to find the limitations with Canon, particularly when we talk about video. And your 28-minute timer. And your 28-minute timer. <laughs> it's very, very irritating. We're going to keep it in just to make a point every 30 minutes and tag Canon. <laughs> Is that even, even when you upgrade to the Mark II? Yeah, it stays. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. It, it was going to stay until they, until they, yeah, until they sort it Until out. Canon starts sending us some free gear to apologise. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I suppose when you did your course and you had this taster of, of dark rooms and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and film photography, was that like the, the combustible thing that kicked you off it with was, film? 
It was the, 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 the two downsides were, firstly, I didn't have a method for doing anything with, well, it was the one downside. Once I'd taken the film and I'd got it developed, which, which are all quite easily doable, getting prints was really, really hard because you need a dark room. Yeah. And in the dark room, you need an enlarger and you need trays of developing chemicals to put the paper in. So you need a fairly big space. Um, and married, two girls, three bedroom semi, there was just wasn't the space to do it. Yeah. So the other option, of course, is to digitize them somehow. Um, and back then, it was a case of, well, flatbed scanner, don't have the space for it. Um, so I ended up getting um, what are those things you can put on the Canon lenses? extenders i think they're called. oh yeah the extender kind yeah. of ghetto macro mm. um and then a, a bog roll in a actually it's 52 millimeters so it perfectly sits inside the. that is excellent knowledge <laughs> and then you can put the negative <laughs> at the end of the bog roll holder and you can actually take a perfect macro without any light kind of coming in um, <gasps> so love that how does this work <laughs> so i'll send you a picture you get your you get your 50 millimeter lens with, yeah. a, with a with a, an extender on it and that allows it to focus really close and a toilet uh. a toilet roll inner is the perfect diameter to actually just slot on to the end of the 50 millimeter lens right and then you put the negative at the end of the, at the other end of the hole and then hold it up against the window so you've got your perfect backlight you've got no yeah. light coming in from around because you've got the bog roll um, that's mental. But it was a, you it figured was a, that out? It was a mess. Because <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out a way to hold the negative at the end. Right. I ended up making this contraption out of A4 paper, and it was it was just it worked. Yeah. And it gave me an image. Yeah. But to it, a point, it was not sustainable. So I just I only did it very occasionally because the hassle of getting it digitized. Yeah. Was, right. Right. Was not worth doing. So what did that mean then for you in terms of film? You just Put it on the on the side and left Put it, it on for the a back while. Burner, shot yeah. a few rolls here and there, and then um, <laughs> then I, dro- I dropped a knife through my foot. I dropped a Stanley knife on, my, on my foot, and it severed the tendon. And I had to go to hospital, and they had to go up my leg because the tendon had crawled back up my leg. They had to pull it back down. Oh, that sounds absolutely oh. grim. Uh, but I was in a boot, and I couldn't do anything for a, about a month. Yeah, um, and so I just thought I'd try medium format film. Because thirty-five millimeters, there's no way I could I could do anything with it. But so this is literally the size <laughs> of each bit of film. Yeah. So thirty-five millimeter has always sort of been the standard, I suppose, and that that's yeah. been taken over to digital. So now, like a full frame it's camera 30, is thirty-five mil, yeah, but medium format 36, yeah. is what size? So medium format film is six centimeters wide, and then it just comes in a length. Yeah. So you can get different cameras that will use different divisions of that length. Mm. You get six by six cameras, mm-hmm. which gives you twelve exposures. You can get six four five, which gives you sixteen exposures. You can get a six by seventeen. Yeah, you showed you us that before. Exposures. So it varies depending on what camera you put in there as to how many exposures. Yeah, you get and obviously the benefit of of a, a bigger bit of film is more detail it it's is, actually, yeah. essentially it's higher resolution if you're talking it is modern megapixels, megapixels yeah. yeah so it's a scanner when you when you put it on a flatbed and scan it the scanner is basically a camera that takes a picture of the negative mm. um, and the bigger the negative the better the resolution is of that final image so by using a larger negative you can actually get comparable results so medium format film with a good scanner i think i paid a couple of hundred quid for this flatbed scanner um, that will give you results that are 
they were certainly better than my APS-C. I think I was shooting Fuji at the time. Mm. They were, the, the quality was, was better. Mm. And film allowed me to not have to piss about in Lightroom and Photoshop doing editing. Because I, I like shooting black and white. <coughs> and the problem is there are no dedicated digital black and white cameras out there unless you pay silly money mm -hmm. for, for Leica. Um, so by shooting black and white film, it, it was the processing was done. Do I want a nice grainy contrasty image? I use Tri-X. Do I want a nice clean, perfect digital looking image? I use this type of film. So I could choose the effect I wanted by putting the film in and I had no post-processing work to do afterwards. Mm. It was just a case of scan it and done. Uh, I, I remember you've always been a bit of a um, ambassador for the, the don't edit thing. I remember... I'm not saying all the time, but certainly, like, just to get going, don't get don't get distracted by the edit. Um, you know, we, we would go. You would set us little tasks around the college and stuff to go and do things. And you come and go right. Get your memory cards out. I was like, I've not edited it yet. <laughs> you know, like, just doesn't matter. Learn how to take the picture in the camera. And there is an art form to editing. And I, I mean, I know you uh, you probably enjoy editing I as much editing. or more than I taking the photo. Yeah, not so much the. You know, when you're like getting rid of things in Photoshop, I, I'm not into all that, mm. but like messing around with colors and contrast and curves, mm. like saturation curves and tone curves, I love that. Whereas in film, like you don't get as much opportunity in post, you do, you do it in development. So right. if you want more contrast, then you develop it for longer. If you want less contrast, then you develop it for less time. You might want to push the temperature up. So the way of doing that post processing is just completely different. Do you mm. only get one chance to in develop it, to yeah. develop a yeah 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 right and yeah. you can't develop one image and then develop another you've got to develop the whole film i mean right. you could try and cut it up so you'd have to develop that whole film in the same way yeah right yeah so the limitations i'm interested to know your thoughts on whether the limitations of film photography in and there are limitations in certain ways in terms of like the number of exposures you can yeah, make yeah. that kind of stuff <coughs> Does that improve your creativity, do you think? Does it improve it? Um, for me, yes, because I, I work better with limitations. Not the kind of limitations that a client would give that tells me how to do the photo, but if I have got black and white 3200 speed film in the camera, I need to take pictures that reflect the fact that that's what I've got in the camera. Um, and so I therefore go out and do that, whereas... With digital, you can take a picture anywhere, anytime, and make it look like anything you want. And that can be sometimes the problem is you'll sit there with an image and go, right, what am I going to do with this? Mm. Do I want to? It's almost too much that? choice. And that doesn't work for me. Mm. I, by by being limited to black and white, by being limited to the type of film emotional I've used, I'm kind of stuck. Then I bought a load of um, traffic camera surveillance film. Um, off eBay. What's that? So it's the, the film that used to, you know, the traffic cameras that sit on the side of the road, the speed cameras. Oh yeah. They, they used when they to, were film, they used to take a picture of your number plate when you went past. Yeah. Um, and when they went digital, they had truckloads of this stuff oh, lying around. <laughs> no <laughs> way. So, so I, I bought a hundred, a hundred foot bulk roll off eBay for like fifty quid. Oh, one hundred foot. Yeah. <laughs> well, a thirty-five millimeter. A thirty-five mil. A thirty-five millimeter. 36 exposure roll of film is about five and a half feet long. So, uh, what's that? 88 So, and, and the, the ISO on it is, I, th I think it was something like 50, something like that. So, the ISO is the sensitivity of That's the film. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Thank yeah. you. Sorry. Yeah. So, no, we have to <laughs> remind ourselves to explain <laughs> yeah. these things as well. Yeah. So with it being such a low ISO, it needs quite a lot of light for it to work. Yeah. Um, so I had 18 rolls of ISO 50 film in our country, yeah. which, you know, I mean, it's nice and On bright today. On today, be all right, yeah. But, but most of the time, it's grey and overcast, yeah. and, and ISO 50 isn't really good. Not going to cut it. So how did they manage that in a speed ca camera? If the car's driving at, whatever, 80 okay. mile an hour so they must have had a, They must have had, like, a fast shutter speed. But uh, then so that's reducing the yeah, light as well. Right. But so they must have slower, had like massive it, lens letting in loads of light. <laughs> if you're slowing you know, it, you, then you, the car's going to be blurry. You're not going to be able to read the number plate. You know, you know where the car's going to be when you take the picture, so you know your exact distance of subject, so you could probably have quite a wide aperture. Yeah, right. it must be. Yeah, must be. So for, for the benefit of those non-photographers, there's basically three primary controls on a camera to expose correctly you have the shutter speed which is the amount of time that the shutter is open and exposing the sensor or the film to the light you've got the iso or the speed of the of the of the film which is basically the sensitivity of your sensor or your film uh, and that ranges from 100 up to nowadays you can get decent images at what 24,000 or whatever yeah. now you know it's insane whereas that was never the case on digital and that's why on film was always better because yeah. you don't get digital distortion yep. or, or you know, noise. And then there's aperture, and aperture is the size of the, uh, of the lens effectively letting the light in. So you can have a pinhole-sized aperture or you can have something very wide. We've lost the Canon. Lost it. Canon down. Canon down. Do you want to reset it? We'll reset. Give us a quick one. <laughs>
longer than anticipated. No fade. No, uh, oh, that was a just solid. Yeah, that's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Just end. So we should point out that wasn't just a cannon break. That was, that was my fault. That was a cannon and Lumix break. Uh, yeah, that that. And that hurts. Yeah, we'll forget that one happened. Yeah, so we've had to edit this podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first edit in the first podcast for us. Um, So yeah, we were just doing a bit of basic background explanation to exposure, the exposure triangle of ISO, uh, shutter speed, and aperture, just to sort of explain how you you have basically a mixture, a a balance, I should say, between you are far better explaining this than I. There is a balance between these three controls to get a perfect exposure. And exposure is how light or dark your image is, basically. And there are limitations or effects that you can create by adjusting each of those controls. For example, if you do a long shutter speed, i.e. the shutter is open for longer, and you've got moving movement in your frame, you're going to get blur. If you're going to, with your aperture, will give you a shallower or deeper um, focus area. Help me out, Ian. Well, no, I, I, and then that kind of goes back to the point of using this, this ISO 50 film. It's like, what do I do with it? And so I decided to try and do some one-second exposure. So as you remember from the course, when we first talk about shutter speed, I get everybody to set their camera to, to time value or shutter speed mode, set it to one second, and then go out and take pictures with it. Because at one second handheld, you're going to get blurred, blurred photos. So what can you do with that? Um, and I'd never actually tried it myself. I was happily saying to other people about it. <laughs> <laughs> they were coming back and I was going, oh, that's quite good. I might try that one. Oh, that's, that's quite good. I'll have a go at that as well. So I, I finally had all these ideas that people had been bringing to me and I went out and I did it. And I did um, a series of one second exposures um, just while I was going for a walk around the woods because the woods, the trees are obviously very vertical. So by moving the camera up in that one second period you get a lot of vertical images mm. and also with people walking while I was walking with them just to it was just about sort of the fact that I'm out walking when you're taking pictures that are, that are stills like that you're not it's not apparent that you're walking because you obviously stood still while you're taking the photo but taking it while moving it gave some interesting results and it, be, it became, ended up becoming a project and I got to use all that film up but I would never have done that if I didn't have a camera that had 25, 50 ISO film in it that I couldn't do anything with because it was bloody miserable. So you were talking before about the limitations, uh, we were discussing the limitations of film photography and how having that structure or those limitations is helpful in terms of being creative. To me, yeah. and, and I, I share that. It's, it's really important that everything I say is, 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 about, is about me and my creativity because everybody's different and, you know, some people really really do enjoy doing lots of editing some people like doing compositing where they'll take lots of photos and the the creative process starts in post. after they've yeah. taken the picture and they sit down and that for me i could not do that mm. i wouldn't find that enjoyable at all but some people think you probably do actually enjoy mm. that part of it yeah i yeah. think um one thing i really benefited from when i was doing your courses was the fact that there was a project and there was a brief and so it, li- it narrowed down my field of vision to a theme. And quite often your projects had a theme to them. So I remember looking through, for example, yeah, yeah. Um, which was the one that I chose. And um, I chose that because it made me think very clearly about something specific and had to get creative within a very narrow band and having a structure and limitations. So I, I share that kind of like need to have walls in place to be creative within because if someone just gives you a blank canvas uh, and 
no real brief and I go and take some photo. I'm useless at that. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in my music. Um, uh, you know, my background is a, is a drummer and if I'm playing within, if I'm playing to somebody else's music, that's where I'm at my best. If you said like, do a drum solo, and play, yeah, where do you start? I just don't have the creative mind to pr- make something out of nothing without a brief or a limitation or something. Uh, so it's kind of the same for me really. I, I kind of like rules in my creativity, it helps me be more creative. Yeah, I definitely say that projects help having a having a defined idea of a project, even if it's just one project and you do other stuff as well. Just just have an idea for something that you want to do, something that's easy to do to begin with. Go out, do it, and then and then finish it and, and have something to show for it. So as you remember from the courses at the end of this, the eight weeks, everybody had fetched these A1 mount boards in that were, mm. that had prints on them and everybody covered that board completely differently they were how many pictures do you want it's like it's up to you as your canvas you go away and you come back and because of that you got people some people who put half a dozen photos on there some people would fill it some people had put stickered letters on there or text or colored pens and it was just this great way to showcase everybody's real creativity and the thing is when, when i talk about it week one of the beginners course and people looking at me as if to say, i'm not doing that i'm going to do all this oh and then versus week eight when they're all walking in with these boards and they stand there and they look at them they're all amazed and and again the imposter syndrome they look at their own and they go it's not very good but that's amazing and that's amazing and that's amazing and all these people are standing around saying that their own is no good and yet everything else is brilliant mm. which start comparing themselves to others yeah yeah it's a funny thing it's a human thing but i, I think on the flip side though the benefit of those those lessons um, where we were in a room with 10, 15 other photographers yeah. and having the benefit of everybody critiquing each other's work in an honest, <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, in a good way. It was a very, it was a very positive environment. In my class, it was. It was a really positive environment. No one was slagging each other's work off. <laughs> Not too much. No, there wasn't. But, but actually, we, we had a good enough relationship as a group that we could be honest and say, I don't really like that. Yeah. Or why did you do it like that? Because it doesn't make sense to me or whatever. And I think because of that, we all improved a huge amount. So actually having a communal setting, I I often feel like being a photographer can be quite a lonely pursuit. And coming together as a community of photographers to share your ideas and your work and the rest of it is massively beneficial. We don't do it enough, actually. You you have to be open-minded. And that's that's really something that I've I've always been really surprised by. And you get it more with people who don't know anything. Beginners, they're willing to come in. They've paid to go on a course. They're open-minded about what might happen. And I think when you get a bunch of open-minded people together, that's when magic really happens. It's when you get people, and I've had them on the courses, they sit at the back, arms folded, and they're like, I know I know what's good, I know what's not good, right. I'm not going to change my mind, I'm going to I'm not going to do any of those themes, I'm going to do you, Do you tend to get that when you get people who aren't beginners? Yes. Right, so yeah. I've already got a preconceived idea yeah. of what photography is and how to yeah, be yeah. good at it, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, I mean, I don't, I say I don't know why they come on the course, Maybe it's for the social side of it. Maybe I don't know, but all, almost always with beginners, the the common theme is they've got an open mind and their willingness because they've paid money. Mm. They're dragging themselves out every Monday night or whatever it is in often bad weather, and so they're committed, they're open minded, and they and it's just it's just brilliant to see. It really is. We we went through um, 
for the for the great we went from beginners to intermediates to advanced yeah, course yeah. and and there was a real core of us that stayed through all of the courses so when we rocked up on day one we didn't have a clue what we were doing um and i think it was a leveler in that sense so mm. no one came in with any preconceived notion of what it was that we were walking into other than we'd all maybe done a few iphone photos and kind of liked it and that was the extent of it and so i think we went on a journey together as a group over the course of a year we kept coming back for each course and that meant there was no hierarchy or there was no real experience in the room you know to go oh, i know what i'm doing there was none of that we were all bug basic beginners right from the off and i think that was a good starting place it was it was and and that that's the other thing as well about being an ordinary photographer is i've seen so many people come even from the beginners course whose work is far better than anything i could produce they're just naturally talented and gifted and once once they've got their heads around the creative the, the technical side of it because they know creatively they know where to go it's just that the technical stuff they need to know and how you know, to make the image they want when you've got a camera that's all buttons and dials and knobs and you don't understand any of the things it's, it's telling you mm. and it doesn't say aperture on your camera it just says av so you First of all, you don't need to know what aperture is, and then you need to know that AV means aperture mark priority. Auto ISO, what does that mean? I know what ISO means, but what's auto ISO? So there's, there's all sorts of technical things, and as soon as you want to blur some water or or, or, or take a picture of the moon or something like that, that, that auto mode really can't deal with very well, mm. and the cameras are getting better, you want a nice blurred background. It's, it's not immediately obvious how to do that unless you go into the, the plant picture mode on the on, yeah. on the camera and it might work and it might not and it depends it's going to be different for canon and nikon so understanding those basic principles of shutter speed aperture and iso because really if you add focus in focus and focus distance into that that's really all you that's photography know. and and these cameras they've got like a button for everything yeah and it's it can just get complete and that's that's the biggest problem i have is is overwhelmed beginners with cameras that they just scared of so mm. if they usually gone out and bought a camera that's been recommended to them and then picked it up and realized that in fact they don't actually know how to use yeah. it yeah yeah and and so. and or also people who get bought that they've, they've said they've enjoyed taking pictures of their phone so and a they've been brought or a husband has, has gone out gone to john lewis can i have your best camera please and yeah. gone yeah. home with it and given it to them and they're yeah. like oh crap what do i do with this but then there's that thing as well like there's no one camera that is the best camera yeah, there's yeah. so many different cameras that are great at doing different things and it's trying to find that one that works for you but for stills yeah. pretty much anything anything, anything yeah. since about 2010 will be yeah. fine yeah yeah it's true yeah. it's true it's they true. all do everything pretty much um certainly enough to to get going and decide whether you like doing it and, yeah. and, and develop your skills but you've talked a lot about um how the technology within gear and cameras and stuff generally can actually be a barrier yeah, yeah. and you're talking about your um th there's a camera you brought in today that is it the sprocket rocket yeah yeah which is um explain what that camera is so the sprocket rocket is a panoramic camera so it takes i can't remember the exact ratio but it's about th three um 24 uh, 335 millimeter frames across and one deep so it's a three to one kind of ratio um and it just takes panoramic pictures, but it also includes the sprocket holes, which are the holes on the side of 35 millimeter film that are mm. used to wind, when you wind the film on, they're used to, to catch the film and wind it. 
um, and it includes those in the picture. So you end up with the sprocket holes um, as part. It's a of cool it. effect. It is, and again, it's a simple piece of plastic. Um, I think it's made by Lomography, uh, and you can buy it on their website. You can buy them new. It's quite expensive, really, for what it is. It's just a plastic box, isn't it's it? It's a plastic yeah. box. The lens is a piece of plastic. It's got one aperture. It's got one shutter speed. And again, it's just like that Instamatic. You've, you've got really no control over it. So I'm quite interested by that, because that's the complete opposite to gear being a barrier, really. Because you're not going, right, what does my aperture need to be? What does my shutter speed need to be? You've got no choice. Yeah. So I think I think it's got two it's got two apertures actually. It's got Yeah, I seem to remember sunny, that. Yeah. Sunny a sunny and, and a cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> and when you when you move it, all that happens is a mask goes over the opening just to, to effectively narrow the aperture. Yeah. So it's not actually strictly. Is it a, like a little bit like an N D filter? You, you, no, because that, that just blocks all light. This is actually like a hard He's get he's he's reaching over. Yeah. <laughs> he's reaching over, he's getting it. I think. You, you can't really see in this light, but when you, when you change the aperture, it's just like a little mask with a hole in it, like a pole. Okay, uh, okay right. Yeah, so it's just a small, there. literally right. a smaller aperture sort of mask that he goes yeah, on the front yeah. of the lens. So it's not exactly high-end tech. No, and the shutter, the shutter speed, the shutter, I said, should we get this recorded? I always wanted to do this on a podcast. I listened to a podcast once where all these people got their cameras and they, they played the shutter sounds and they recorded. Oh, that's it. high that's geeky. Poppy, poppy, poppy. Yeah, go on there. There we go. <laughs> There you that's go, you see. That's, many a, that's, a, that's a plastic <laughs> box. <laughs> plastic so box with a plastic lens on front. But I, I, I kind of like the, the, the principle that, you know, it's taking creativity within that constrictions of two shutter speeds, or sorry, two apertures and one shutter speed. And depending what what ISO film you put in it, then that's what you've got. Yeah. Um, so there's no real barrier to technology in that sense. And I remember you, you give me that camera saying, off you go into the college and take some photos. And it's like, really had to think differently about the photos I was trying to take because I couldn't get creative with my camera controls. So instead you have to think about composition and you have to think about all those other sort of more creative elements of creating an image yeah. rather than the tech. Mm. It's the complete opposite of tech being a barrier, it I is. suppose. So in, in your experience, so how has as tech been a barrier for you? Are you, not, are you a techie person? Uh, so I'm a techie person, but yes, tech has been a barrier for me, and it it, it it varies by manufacturer. I don't know if we're allowed to slag off manufacturers. You can do it. We, we do it every yeah. day. <laughs> so so Panasonic was Ooh, I bought, I bought not pa Panasonic. <laughs> not Panasonic. <laughs> I bought a Panasonic TZ1000. It was a little point and shoot camera that I, it was tiny. I wanted to have it to go around, and I could not get that thing to work. I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to change aperture and shutter speed. I couldn't do it. Um, the, the screen on the back, because I'm left eye dominant, and I, I don't know if you, some people when they put a camera to their face, they'll put it to, most people put it to their right eye, mm. I put it to my left. What that means is that my nose is on the screen. I'm um, like that. Are you? Are yeah. you left? Yeah. I know so many left eye dominant photographers. <laughs> I think that's why okay. I don't like using right. the viewfinder. Right. Ah. Because I get a greasy screen. <laughs> 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 right, now we're getting to the bottom of it. With, with rangefinder cameras, we're always, um, they, they have the viewfinder over on the right hand side. Yeah. And the idea is that you look through it with this eye and then you can see what's happening with this eye. And uh -huh. people say, oh, rangefinders are great because they allow you to see what's going on. And I was thinking, 
Yeah, they don't. <laughs> I, the exact problem. Right yeah. now, we find out why Scott doesn't like viewfinders, and that's why you've got a, a, in DSLRs the viewfinder tends to be in the center, so it, it will kind of work for anybody. Yeah. Work for anybody. But with, the, like with this Panasonic, the, the viewfinder was on that left-hand side, so I was putting it to my face, and my nose was hitting the touchscreen. So all of a sudden, I was adjusting all of these different controls, and I just couldn't get it to operate. And I ended up selling it with five shots on it because it was a oh, horrible really? camera to use and I hated the menu system because the thing is, I go to a camera, I know what I want to do. Yeah. I just don't know how to do it in that camera. And the, the Canon quick menu system where you can set up custom menus mm. for the half dozen things that I need to change. Mm. That's a useful feature. I can just go there and I can do it and, and it's it's done in two things. And that's that for me is the best way forward. And that's why I like these cameras where you've got aperture on the on the lens you've got shutter speed on the top you focus it with a barrel there and that's it yeah because that's, that's really all I. so within I 30 need. seconds you can get the photo you want yeah. yeah yeah rather than spending ages looking through manuals and all the rest yeah. of it and i saw it with students yeah you know even on that first week where I, t I tell people to fetch their manuals with them and it's like set your camera to shutter speed um mode and go and take one some one second exposures it's the people with the older cameras that can do it. Mm. The people with the new, especially Olympus, again, is another common one with people come to me with a camera in the hand and they're like, I don't know. Mm. And I'm like, is it Olympus? Oh shit, well, I have to Google now to yeah, try and yeah, figure yeah. out how the hell to do this. Yeah. Who wants to be doing that? Excuse no, you're absolutely right. I just want to take pictures. photos. Yeah. 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 I, I think what's quite been quite useful, it's quite been an interesting thing for me, um, having never shot anything other than Canon to start shooting with the Lumix stuff. Is recently. that Panasonic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. You find the menus okay? <laughs> I, I love Panasonic. You, you, won't, you won't ever find Scott say anything bad about the it's Lumix cameras. It's my favourite camera I've ever used. Right, okay. Um, for me, I was quite sceptical about it for a couple of reasons. One, I'm very familiar with all the kind of menu systems and where all the controls... I mean, I can pick up a 5D of any sort and I can control it with my eyes shut. I know right. where everything is, everything but I'm like in my sleep. And so the idea of... And I can then get an R6 or R5 or whatever, and I can set that up in exactly the same way. So I can adjust very quickly to any Canon camera, basically. So I was quite nervous when I got hold of the Lumix, whether it would be a completely new menu system, completely new set of controls and the rest of it. But what I found quite good about it is that I think, I don't know if it's just professional level cameras or what, but you can customise the setup quite quickly so that if you're used to the, the rotary dial of back always being for your aperture, you can set that up the same way. And the, so the general three controls, there's a scroll wheel on the back, there's one at the top and there's one on next to your, next to your shutter button. And so as long as you set those three controls, your ISO, your shutter speed and your aperture up the same way on every camera, you can quite quickly get into the basics but then beyond that, yeah. you find out all the tricky bits. And I was on a shoot with him for the first time the other night, and I was ringing Scott going, how do I get the spirit level back up on the screen? <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, you know, because like, you just, until you start burying yourself in the menus, yeah, yeah. and actually it's just time behind the camera, it can become a limiting factor. If I was, and I said this to you last week, if I was out on an event now, because the nature of events or weddings or whatever, where you're capturing moments and you don't get a chance to set up your camera, it's not like in a studio where you can fine tune everything. You're at an event and you're capturing moments and they, they, you know, they're one of the moment moments that you can't capture again. I would be terrified now going out with that camera with the Lumix because I'm not familiar enough with it. Where and I'd probably be mm, bit um and area now taking the R6 is still I'm still getting used to them at, at that level. Whereas if I had a, a 5D in my hand, 
I'd feel completely comfortable to be able to just like shoot from the hip and just like grab the shot and adjust my camera in a fraction of a second and get the shot. Mm. And I think that's my limitation, I think, when it comes to gear. And if you think about the fact that, you know, you're technically comp, you know what you want to do. The only barrier to you is making it happen. Yes. Whereas for a beginner... You, you don't even they, know what you want to do. They sometimes they don't, they don't know really what they want to do. And then they've got to change it. And the language barrier between what the menus are saying and what they understand can be completely different. Mm. And, and the manufacturers all seem to be pushing you towards, just press this button. Just go onto that yeah, setting. Yeah. It will do it for you. Especially when you get to iPhones. And I know we've said we're going to talk about this at another point. But when you go into the camera app on the iPhone... You don't see any aperture shutter speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's doing it all for you. Yeah. So you I all mean, you have to you do. You can get apps that you, you can, can get control apps, everything yeah, manually. Yeah. But, yeah. but Apple have like slimmed down this camera app, so you just get a still photo from one button. You don't have to do anything. But behind the and scenes, on those photos are HDR and yeah, the, yeah. All, all the post process yeah, and the, all sorts of stuff. like the whatever the. It's effectively a computer, in it? Whatever yeah. it's doing. But that does my head in because it's taking creative decisions on my behalf. Yeah. But that's okay for some people. 100%. I'm just talking from my perspective. the majority of people, that's okay. Which is why they've done it. Yeah. It's just, I think, when you want to have some creative control over your camera settings in order to create a certain look or effect or whatever, and... How do you then do that? And that's something that the tech becomes the barrier to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, by making it simpler for the masses, you suppose it makes it a bit more complicated for for the few. I suppose mm -hmm. there's no bad of, thing. There's lots of features on there though that aren't there that, that nobody ever uses or no. would need to use, and I think they just bloat these menus with with stuff. Just because it is marketing, it's like when you yeah, um, yeah. say um, a camera's got sixty megapixels, you don't need sixty megapixels. <laughs> it's a lot of crap. Yeah. Like you could do with twelve or twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. Like well, even less. I mean, there were yeah. people taking, you know, think back to 20 years ago that you were saying your, your camera had a 2.2 megapixel camera. But professional cameras at one point had a 1 megapixel camera yeah, yeah. Uh, sensor on the back, and people would put in blown up billboards. Yeah. You know, you don't need a 60 yeah. megapixel camera. So but you people just plug see, up your computer. People see 60 megapixels, that's a better camera than 12 megapixels, but it's not. It do not work like that. I read a really, I remember an article being sent to me once, it was called The Megapixel Myth. Um, all about this point, and actually, yeah. it's not about the number of megapixels; it's about the quality of, me of megapixels you've yeah. got. You know, and at the time, it was it was talking about the sensor. Oh, you might probably geek alert this one. Uh, the, the sensor in, in a Canon constant underneath. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a Canon 6D had a 20.2 megapixel full frame sensor in the back of it, um, versus a um, I think it was a crop sensor. Um, it was my 200D. You had a 200D as well, first did, camera, yeah. and that had a 28 or 24 megapixel, but it was on a crop sensor. And the quality of the, the pixels was terrible compared with this posh sensor in the 6D with really <coughs> juicy, nice, fewer, but better pixels. Yeah. And it's again, it's all mar marketing bollocks, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it is. And when you look at the medium format cameras like the GFX and, and, and things like that, for, they're starting to sell for big money, but they're aiming them at the... At the High spending consumer photographer who just wants something better than full frame, um, and 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 it's it's really a case of do you actually really really need that because it's not true medium format as in medium format film it's just a bit bigger than than your normal sensors yeah so yeah. 
But they need to sell cameras, don't they? They have to come up with something new and fancy. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you sell your existing camera and pay loads for the new one? And Sony are experts. Are they? Don't they come up with a new camera every <laughs> three months? Yeah. 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 Sony Canon have got into it now as well. I mean, R6 has only been out for, what, three years or something? Well, not um, even that. Not even that. And the R6 II is now out. Yeah. Whereas previously, if you think about the 5D, 5D3 came out in about... 2010 and then the 5d4 came out of 2016 so there were like six seven years between cameras and now it's like two or three years between cameras yeah and they they peddled these new features and actually at what point have you got enough features to make great cameras and as you rightly say that like from about 2010 onwards you had all the features you needed yeah, really yeah, yeah. Uh, unless you're very very specific in a particular application for cameras where you need like mega shutter speed uh, frames uh, shutter speeds per second sorry um Images per second. What's the f- what's frames the term? Per frames, per frames per second. Thank you. You know, like the five Ds will do six frames per second, whereas on electric shutter they'll do thirty or whatever. All right, great. Who needs thirty frames per second? That's just a lot of yeah. editing to do. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna have to go through. You have to go through thirty seconds. Like like and how much storage you gonna oh need? To and, and this was the conversation we had when we got the R sixes. We decided to get the R sixes because it only had 20, 20 megapixels. Uh, which meant that every file was about 20 megabytes. Yeah, which is manageable. Which is totally manageable. And it's got two SD cards in rather than a CF Express card and an SD card. And you know, they're really expensive cards. And you need a bigger computer and big hard drives and storing everything yeah. on the cloud is a you nightmare. You end up upgrading everything and not just the camera. Exactly. So, yeah, simplicity, I think, is key. You need to... Kit is important, but you only need the kit you need to enable you to do the type of work you need to do on it. Not the type of work, type of photography you need to do on it. Yep. You know, and nothing more than that. You can easily get stuck into the, oh, I need a better camera. You just yeah. don't. You need to be and, better And the thing is, sometimes you do need a better sometimes. camera. Sometimes. We've had beginners on the course, and, and I've said, oh, push your ISO up as high as it'll go, and somebody's looking at with a Kodak camera from 2010. Right. won't go over ISO 400, and it's like, okay, that's that a is, limitation. That is quite a limitation. Yeah. Uh, apertures that won't go any wider than f8 yeah you know, right, like right right yeah okay okay yeah so there are certain limitations yeah. to creativity in yeah. that sense so how did you get into the teaching thing <laughs> my uh <clears throat> I, I wanted to get my wife out of the house so i suggested she do it i thought she, i thought she would uh, teach chicken husbandry at the local college and uh she rang up and they said she needed to have a teaching qualification and she said i'm not doing that she said but you could do it and I'd, I'd explored teaching as a potential career until somebody who was a teacher said, don't do it, teenagers are fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I thought I could teach adults. So I went and did a, a, a qualification at night school and then I ended up, I applied at John Dean's College yeah. and they were after somebody to teach silver surfing to uh, older, older people. <clears throat> uh, so I was teaching them what a mouse was and how yeah. to use it. Um, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, then I did some Photoshop and Lightroom training, which on the college computers was just a disaster because oh. the computers were horrible yeah, and imagine. the IT never really You have worked. to wait about 20 minutes for it to load up. Well, it's, it's not only that, it's that Lightroom won't read off a catalogue that's on a shared server. Oh, so exactly. <laughs> everybody had to have a pen drive with the Lightroom catalogue on it and it was it was... I mean, it was good. People enjoyed the course, but the techni- technical side of it was terrible. And people, people were turning up, and they they didn't even know how to use a basic computer. Right. And, and, and so it was. So you're teaching computing skills. Yeah. As well as yeah, Lightroom yeah. skills. And, and it was it was a nightmare. That so sounds hard work. And then the photography teacher that was teaching the photography classes, which is what I really wanted to do. And I remember saying to somebody, "Oh, I'll be dead man's shoes." But it, uh, sadly, he really passed away, and, uh. and they asked me to to pick up the course. 
um, and I walked into uh, an intermediate and an advanced course that were both halfway through with two weeks' notice. Oh. had to write all the course material. The, the guy that ran the course, he didn't have any paperwork right. that he let the college have so that they could... Right. It was all on his own computer, so I just had to make it Start up. from scratch. So that was a real, real challenge. That I was being, probably being thrown in at a deep end. It no. was, and, and, and when the... When the the, the, the people that walked into the advanced course, they'd already done two courses with this guy and he died. And, and obviously they were really upset. And I just felt really bad. And, and, and I said, oh, do you know, I hope it's okay. And, you know, I hope I do as, as good a job and, and all the rest of it. And she just looked at me and she said, well, we'll see, won't we? <laughs> I thought, this is going to be fun. Thanks. <laughs> wow, that's hard. Quick cannon break. So it was a bit of a um, throwing in the deep end situation. Yeah, yeah. Really difficult circumstances as well, if they were fond of the previous... Yeah, and I mean, I spoke to the guy, and, and he was a really nice guy, um, and, and it, it was just, it, it knocked the whole adult ed team, actually, because mm, he'd been doing it, sure. been, been doing it for a number of years. It wasn't a nice way to get to get the job, but... Uh, but at the same time, it was the job you wanted. It was, and I loved it. I yeah. absolutely loved it. And it was, it was difficult trying to do a full-time job during the day and then this at night, but... Because the adult ed team basically did all the bureaucracy. Yeah. I just got paid a salary and pitched up and, and had a lot of fun and caused a lot of trouble with all the other classes with students walking around taking pictures of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I was sending people out. Yeah, out. oh, totally. Every night, yeah. It was it was mega. I mean, I, look forward, I looked forward to each class so much and I felt like I learned... Going back into education for the first time after... How old, what, 15 years or whatever was a bit daunting for me because I hadn't done any education since I finished at uni. Um... But I, I, you know, I sort of, I, I really, re I really thrived off learning again mm. and being taught things and new, new skills and stuff. It was mega, um, and it was very hands-on. It was very like it wasn't just sitting in a, in a library or in a classroom all the time. It was like, right, this is what we're doing today. Off you go, take some photos, come back in half an hour. We'll have a look at them together. We all critiqued, <laughs> you know. That that was a that was really daunting at the beginning, yeah, but very yeah. soon became very normal to us all. And it really improved all of our photography massively. And it's funny, when when I'd, I'd send people out to do these challenges and then when they came back, I'd say, come on. And, and it was out of a class of like 15, it was always the same mm. half dozen that would be happy to say, here's my memory card. And there'd be an awful lot of people that would just sit there and, and they just wouldn't say anything because they didn't want to have their images seen. But nine times out of 10, the people who were submitting their memory cards and taking the feedback they were the people that improved so dramatically over the over the duration of the course i i became one of the people that was just like yeah look at mine because i wanted to get better you know and i realized and i got over it i didn't like it at the beginning but i got over it pretty quick when i realized that i was getting really useful feedback and i could improve my photography and it's as i say i think being a photographer is generally quite a lonely pursuit and the only real validation you've got is either your own your friends and your family around you or instagram for, or your client or whatever do you know what i mean like there's not really like a, a a group of peers unless you join a photography club and whatever and that's not for everybody um but you know there's not there's not usually a group of peers who can go off and do project work together and work on the same skills together and those sorts of things and then critique them. That, for me, was one of the best bits of it, really. I was I was toying with the idea, actually, of, of 
trying to come up with. I, th- I think the idea I came up with was a photography collective would be a, mm. a monthly kind of drop in, drop out. You drop in each month, and and people just come together and view each other's images, and then go away and have maybe have a theme, and not not a photography club in in so far yeah. as I know my experience of them hasn't been that great. I mm. never I never talked very highly of them when I was teaching, <laughs> but so, some of the clubs really do a lot of work, but I, I think it's a lot of focus around competitions. Yeah. Whereas it would be good to have people coming in and just being able to talk about their images and get feedback on them. But um, again, it's effort involved in organizing in getting it, it off the ground. Yeah. Like. Well, if you ever do, I'll sign up. I'll be 100% there. because be you know, as I've as as I explained before, like the idea of being told a theme and some structure and go away and, and, and then to have someone critique my work and help critique other people's work. That for me is magic and that will push my photography on, no doubt about it. Well, there was one there was one class that pretty much, I think your class and, and this other class were the few ones that almost everybody went from beginners to immediate, intermediate mm. to advanced. And after advanced, they kind of went on to form a group. Meeting, uh, meeting at the pub. We tried, and then there was a. I don't know if you heard of this yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they had COVID as well, and that, and they, but they went online for it, and they did Zoom, right. and they did the whole, the, they did the whole thing, and they're still going now. And, and I went along to it the other month, and it was, it's just really nice to just have a theme. Everybody takes a picture to the theme. Somebody puts together a PowerPoint presentation. You go through it anonymously. They vote on it. Nice. Whoever wins picks the theme for the. Nice. That's, that's their kind of prize. That's cool. But but they also do like after they've gone through the voting thing, they go through it again, and and each person talks about the image they took, right? How they went about it, any problems they had, and they take feedback from people around the table. I tell you what, man, that feedback was harsh. <laughs> I was not expecting. <laughs> really? It. Oh, I don't like that bit. And I don't. It was and and. Because they've been doing it so long, they all they're take okay it with it. Right. They just That's it what I mean. That was like our group. Like we were all honest with each other, and it wasn't meant to be cruel at any point. I don't think anyone took it badly because we we're all on the same page. And we're mm. all learning at the same rate, pretty much. You know. But it needs it needs a thick skin, I think, to be able to take yeah, criticism of your creativity. It yeah, does because it really it's personal. Is hard. Yeah, it's personal. If you really like something, then it hits. It hits hard. Yeah, yeah, if you're really proud of yeah. an image and you rock up, everyone goes, nah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. bastards. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I don't know whether it's just blind ignorance, but I've just tended to think, well, do you know what? I, I don't give a shit what you think. I like that. I like that. And, and it comes, goes back to what you were saying before about taking photos for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't care if you don't like it because I like it and I took it for me. Whereas if you took it to a client who said, well, I don't like it. That's a that's problem. A, that is a problem, isn't right. it? There's yeah. a book in there, it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's called that, that yeah. Right, I've yeah. never read a book, but I've seen the title. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, no, that's right. And I think when, you, when you're taking your art for yourself and making your art for yourself, then yeah, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, but really, really like, I think it, in a different context, you can learn something from other people from their opinion. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, and I think that was always the benefit for me of be doing something. And seeing their work as well. Yeah, you can mega. Take, you can take what you like from their work and what doesn't appeal to you you just let it go but if you see stuff that you think I actually quite like that that I, th- I find yeah, really it can be quite inspiring yeah, yeah. yeah I always remember you you were a great sort of scholar of photography you always knew a lot about photographers you know you always had your little bag full of names and we yeah, had to yeah, go yeah. and study you know this photographer or that photographer and I've never really done that I've always been just practical I suppose and just taking the shots and I've always been in awe of that that sort of knowledge because when you when you do study and it's like in any subject if you study the greats you will learn yeah and I know you do a lot of that don't you look 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 at a lot of other I, I just think it's so hugely important to look at these people have made a lifelong career 
out of taking their type of, uh, in a lot of cases, documentary and, and journalist and uh, docu journalism type mm. stuff, photojournalism. They've they've made a lifelong career out of it. Mm. That's hard to do yeah, in, an right. art, in an artistic, creative way. And so, especially when they're being so creative within it, to toss it out and say, "Well, I'm not going to look at anybody. Why would I look at anybody else's yeah. work?" It's like, it's like saying, well, why would you listen to anybody else's music? How, yeah. how, how would you even begin to form a band if you'd never listened to any other music? You just... And, and you, you know would, how to start. You'd likely start right, right back at the beginning making all the mistakes they did. Yeah. Why, why even go through that? Yeah. So why not just why not apply that to, to photography? Cool. I, I remember cool. you always used to say, go, go down to like, your charity shops. Yeah. There'll always be a few photography books yeah, knocking yeah. about that people have got rid of. Mm. Um, I, I did it for a long time. I'd just go and just pick up books for a quid or whatever yeah. and just keep them on the coffee table for a little while. I still got a lot of them, actually. And um, it's amazing when you flick through, you go, oh, yeah. There's always something to be learned. Yeah, well, no, there There's is. no question about it. Yeah. And the thing is, is to avoid becoming depressed by it, by looking at... <laughs> and it's and like that, an old-style old Instagram, isn't that it? That can happen on Instagram, isn't it, where you look at this work and you think, oh, I'll never do anything like that. But then again, you see all of your work the best as well as the worst, whereas all you're seeing of their stuff is the absolute best. So really, you're comparing apples to oranges almost. If you got rid of all of your all of the crap and just picked out your absolute best pictures, well then, that's the stuff to compare it against, yeah. not the picture I took last Thursday. It was okay, but it wasn't five star. Yeah. Get your five star pictures out and compare yeah. those. And yeah. then that's a different that's a different story. Because that's all that ever gets shown on Instagram. That's right. I remember someone talking about... Um, hit rate when it comes to sort of um, wedding photography how what percentage of your photos that you take are ones that make the final album you know um, I think it was like 2% was the, the, the target if you're doing better than 2% you're doing well sort of thing um, a lot of that's because of the nature of <laughs> event photography you just like take loads of photos yeah, all the yeah, time yeah. but there is something to that and actually like you have to take a lot of photos to get the good photos you don't just go out there I think um, and get lucky very rarely will you go out there and just strike gold straight away with a brilliant f image straight off the bat on your first exposure takes warming into I think yeah. so uh, it's a question for both of you as creatives then it's do, do you think you can have a do you think there are, you have to have a talent for something to be to be good at it I think you need the interest. I think, yeah, passion for it yeah. rather than talent. I, the interest and then you find the passion and you... I stand by that whole 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration kind of model of like, to be the very best, I do think you need to be talented. But I think you can go an awful long way with graft and, and, a, and a passion for something. Yeah, I think most people can probably do most things. I'm not talking like brain surgery or whatever I don't, that, <laughs> I've not very, tried so I don't know a limited amount of people like can do that but if you if you have the interest and the passion for it then the chances are you will be able to be good at it and successful at it right that's why I, th I think anyone can do anything really to a point you reach your yeah. talent ceiling is my experience of things I did it with music <laughs> I reached my talent ceiling in music and I knew it and it was a decent ceiling. I was made a career out of it for a number of years. Yeah. It bought me, a, got me a mortgage, and you know, out of music. So I did all right. But there were people around me that I was just in awe of, talented people. Because when, when, when I was doing the band thing with my brother, my, my brother is what I would call a talented musician. And like I said at university, people would throw instruments at mm. him and say, "Go on, get a tune out of that," and he would, from a harp to a trumpet to anything, and. 
yet I couldn't do yeah. anything like that. And, and for me to become even less than mediocre requires 90% perspiration, or it feels to me as though it is, requires an awful lot of effort for me to become just kind of at best mediocre. Mm. Whereas I look at other people and it's like, whoa. I, I do definitely say think you made a career out of out of drumming. To me, that sounds like you probably got a bit of a talent for it. Yeah, no, you're right. But I wouldn't have. It wasn't like a virtuoso childhood. You know, like, oh my god, this kid's gonna be amazing. It was like I just enjoyed it, and so I did it all the time until I got good. Does that make sense? Like I, I was, and it was the same with photography. I was relentless relentlessly taking photos and trying to learn and get better at it um, to try and speed my learning curve up because I'm not very good at being a beginner. I don't like it. <laughs> don't like being new to things. I get frustrated if I can't do it. So like that early phase, like just get past that as quick as possible. Get good, get good, get good. It was the same with music. It was the same with photography. But, you know, you do really... I, I do... I'm quite conscious, of self-conscious of my talent ceiling in all these things. And I know where I'm at. And therefore, I know that I'm only going to get better with loads of graft. And it's always like becomes like um, diminishing returns, the law of di diminishing returns. I can put in 100 hours and only get 1% better at, this, at, at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas in the early days, you put 100 hours in, you get 100% better. Yeah, yeah. And there's really re rewarding growth yeah, yeah. through something. And, and I think you just you naturally bump up against where your level is. And it could be anywhere for everybody, depending on what the thing is. And... Um, so you're right. I do agree that talent is part of it. Some people are more or less talented to start off with, but talent means nothing without the graft. Now, if you're talented and you don't put any work in, mm. you're not going to do anything. Like you could be a really talented photographer, but like if you don't know about your exposure triangle and you don't know how to use the camera and you don't know how to compose and images and stuff, surely your work isn't going to be that. You'll only get so far on just your talent. Would you not agree? Well, so I've seen people come in. And and when I, on the beginners course, the, the first week homework is for everybody to upload an icebreaker image, which is a photo that they've taken. They come back and that they're really proud about, and they talk about it the following week. And these these people who don't know anything about aperture shutter speed and ISO, they really don't know anything technical, and they've taken some great photos. Right. And from that beginning, the technical knowledge just their acceleration is unbelievable. Once they and I'm going to take you as an example here. That that first shot that you uh, you took in a live event, it was a woman sort of yeah. leaning towards. I can, I can even remember that image now. I don't know how long ago it was. And and when I saw it, I thought, oh, what this guy's on a beginner's course. And I, I saw that quite a lot with different people. And once once you get the knowledge, it's like lighting touch paper. That's yeah, you're right. Because it, it really facilitates that creativity to just explode. Right. Right. And I've seen it. And and. I feel really sorry for some people because they'll they'll come on the course with this hunk of junk that's no better than this, turning out great images, and they go away with this hunk of junk knowing that they're never going to be able to have anything better than that because of their circumstances at the moment. But they, they just turn, and it's almost like somebody should be sponsoring this person yeah. and get them a fucking camera, get them because they're talented, because they know what they they are talented. Yeah, they just need a good good camera in their yeah, hands yeah. to make it make it so. Which flies in the face of pretty much everything we've been talking. No, well, it just it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's a it's a broad church in that sense, yeah, yeah. and and that's why the topic for this entire podcast and, and our series of podcasts is so interesting about creativity yeah. because there's no sort of tangible sort of points to this really. There are so many different angles to it. Talent is a massive part of it. 
and it, but also so is inspiration and and graft and passion yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. all these sort of things and the idea in the first place to do something mm. and do something new and bravery courage to decide to do something new um particularly as an adult i think you know you talk about the silver surface coming and trying to learn how to use computer that's massively courageous i think it is and the reward for it was a lady she brought me a card at the end of the course to say thank you for doing it because she'd been able to finally email her family in australia she was 80 odd and it had given her the ability just to talk to her family yeah which is mega that's incredible and, and she could, and she was so overwhelmingly um happy about that yeah and she was doing it herself logging onto her email and sending emails it was a big thing but but she'd done it and the, re- the reward from that was just and it doesn't matter what the subject matters or what, what the skill is like photography with you teaching the photography at sir john dean's was you know a cl- all those classes of 15 or 20 people you know the objective of those classes were for not everyone to go out and become professional photographers it could be anything mm-hmm. it could be going going home and um, having the confidence to do self-portraits. It could be going home and taking better pictures of your kids. It could be, I need to take photos for work on a basic level, uh, you know, on building sites or whatever. You know what I mean? Like facilitating, facilitating people to be able to use this skill for their for their well-being or their career or whatever it might be, I think is, is massively rewarding. And it doesn't have to be that massive target, you know. Um, we were talking about it in, in the last yeah. podcast with regards to singing. Yeah. You know, as we said, like it's not about you know being on X Factor or whatever. That's not the success necessarily. Because I, th- I think there's a degree the of person. there's a degree of warmth inside you can get from creating something mm. that makes you feel good. Yeah, and it's I, I get it when I make my little zines and things like that, and I get them and, and, and I can open them up. And I got it when I was a kid when I got those prints in. I was yeah. like, it's like I made this. Yeah, and and. It made me feel good inside, and that is something I really want to try and or wanted to try and get across in those lessons. Is is that do it for you because mm. that's so important. It's just it's just so important doing it for yourself. And c- competitions are great, but you know people the amount of resentment I've seen kicking around from people who didn't do as well as they thought they would, and it's that's enough to put anybody off. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of competitive or tangible. A competition in art, generally, no, no. whether it be photography or whatever, I always resented. You know, spent a long time as a musical professional. I always resented when I used to teach tr- drums to kids for years, and all their par- a lot of their parents were just like, you know, could put me for grades and exams and stuff like. That. I don't do that. I don't want some dude at the end of the thing ju- making judgment on some kid who, if he fails, then will never play drums again. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. There's so many opinions. It's just someone's opinion. It's yeah. subjective. Like just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's not good. Mm. And it's the same with photography. Like, if you like it, if you take the photo, and you, that's who you made it for, win, result, success. Yeah. Yeah. I try and do the same with my YouTube videos because obviously there's a there's a bit of a trap that you fall in because you want to be really hard. You, you want to grow your YouTube channel, and you know what works to grow yeah, the gear channel. reviews. Gear reviews. <laughs> talking about cameras and shit like that. Yeah. But like, I always try and make something for me. And then upload that as well because that then keeps it fresh. Mm. So I'm always thinking of like, where can can I go if in the mountains and make a video that's inspiring to me? It might not be what other people want to see, yeah. but I enjoyed making it. Mm. And that, it's getting the balance that, that's right. That's where the it? fun comes. That's kind of why, well. why we started the Creative Pursuit 
as as a YouTube channel as a podcast is because it's our own little creative outlet yeah, within yeah. all the com- the client work that we do. And the thing is, if you if you make work just for yourself and people like it, that that's, oh, well, that's been the yeah, best yeah. place to be. Hundred percent. That's the win, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's striking. It's like the gold. creative dream, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. is. And yeah. I think for for me that was easiest to do with music. Yeah. Because we were. We were a band, we were writing songs, we were... Played and, music and, that people and, liked. And people said, well, we like that, that's pretty yeah, good, that. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is, there's nothing nicer than that. That's it's lovely. Because like, I'm not doing this for you, I'm yeah. doing this for me. Yeah. Yeah. You and like you it, like that's it. a byproduct. Right, right, you've nailed it, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I remember you always talked a lot about um, finishing the process. I don't know, you, it's a lot because you're, yeah, yeah. you're in film... Um, I suppose it's part of it but you know you use the same techniques uh, or the same sort of principles around digital photography and that always you print your work yeah 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 you're a big advocate for that and um, I've stopped doing it as much as I did when I was in your lessons but it, uh, you've done it recently yeah I was going to bring them in today but I completely forgot oh, this morning yeah. but yeah I got a few th- of my favourite pictures from like the last year or so blown up to about A2 size right okay and it's the best thing I've done yeah I I don't know why I've I've done it a bit in the past, but I don't know why I've not done it more because it 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 just feels. I think Adam said that you said this. It just feels finished, hmm. and it, it's true. Like yeah. when you see it hung up on the wall, and like you made that, and you can remember where you were at that time, and it tells a story to you. I, I, that's what it's all about for me. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is, when you do that, or when I do that. And I go back to those images on the desktop. All of a sudden, I don't want to tweak it anymore. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to see what it looked like in black and white because yeah. it's like, no, I'm done with that image now. Yeah, it's drawn a line under it. Yeah, finishing yeah. something's really good. And, and the thing with, I, I looked up um, a book binding tutorial on YouTube. It's quite easy to make your own books. So you get, you can get your own prints and then make it in, make it into a physical book. And all the books they showed were, were like A4 size, typical like notebooks and things like that. And I thought to myself, I wonder what it'd be like to make an A2 book. Because if you're going to make it, you might as well make yeah, it properly. Do it properly. Yeah. <laughs> and a big A2 book with, with hardback that you could, just one copy. Don't need to make millions of copies, just one copy, just for yourself. That would be, that. I think that might be my next yeah. go-to project. Because I cool. love big prints. Yeah. yeah. You do all your prints at home? Yeah, yeah. So you've just got a decent printer. Yeah, yeah. I remember you brought in loads of different papers and print papers and stuff. Yeah, it's papers. So de- when I get me talking about paper, you're going to need that, that slider. That, that, that is a whole new world. That is. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, I remember you printing out um, the same image or a few different images on like loads of different paper and bringing them in. We were just like, oh my God, they look so different. Yeah. And you just think it's a print. A print is a print, yeah. and you realise a print is not just a print, you know. And you have to. There's a, there's a whole other world in terms of that. If you're gonna print your images, you need to know what you're doing. And yeah. Well, printing it, printing yourself is actually easier than getting somebody else to do it. Because if you get somebody else to do it, you don't know what their setups like, yeah. and so you might end up getting the colours wrong and stuff like that. You don't really know what the paper's like until you get it. Mm. Whereas if you're printing yourself, you've got full control over all of that, and it is proper finishing of the process. Take process and then finally print and then you've got your own print yeah but it's 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 not a cheap thing it's certainly not value for money but then the reasoning i was given was well there's anything we do as photographers value for money? <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not no. that's so true this is an expensive um, one yeah you had a budget for so much kit uh, and stuff generally yeah, 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 yeah you yeah. know it's just there's you're quite bad adam i you? am bad for it <laughs> I am bad for I it. Thought I, was gonna get, I, I thought I was going to get you divorced at one point <laughs> on that course. <laughs> it 
could have happened. <laughs> yeah, and I think the problem was, um, well, actually, it's the reason I started doing it commercially. I think I've got to pay for this habit. Yeah, let's get the company to do it. Yeah, I, it was genuinely like, right, I'm going to have to earn some money. After I, I'd started by buying a few bits of kit and I, I bought a first camera. I bought a second camera in about three months, you know, because I wanted a full frame camera. And then I got a nice lens. I realised how nice a nice lens was and yada yada. And I suddenly realised, okay, I had to draw a line. I've got enough kit. And actually, I'm not only going to buy kit with money I earn through photography from so this point on. I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to set up my own company. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't <laughs> have to buy any it. of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I am bad for it. But um, I think I've, I have mellowed in that sense to a point where I'm, I really just want the kit that does the job for me now in terms of the brief for the client and I get really frustrated when I'm on a job and I'm compromised by the kit you wait if you do start taking up film photography that's <laughs> <laughs> bye bye but I tell you what I'll never ever be doing commercial work on a, on a film camera you won't find me you doing that you say that when you get a client coming along that wants something shot on film like I'll refer them to a good <laughs> film photographer I think I just too too terrifying I just like oh, you know as we as we spoke about earlier, I got another quote from your bio. It says, "As you can tell, I like making things. Photos don't stay on my hard drive, gathering e dust. I print them, and I try to find as many ways of doing that as I can. From straight framed wall prints to zines to books to postcards, I like to see something finished, and I like to have a result I can hold. I think for me, like that tangible thing at the end of it. That's why I love vinyl, and it's why I love." Yeah, yeah. Um, you know any art process which has a physical thing at the end of it rather than you know just stored away on a hard drive as you as you put it there's a lot to be said for that there is okay it's been a great chat thank you thank you for having me oh it's been a real pleasure thanks so much like for sit here for another two or three hours I just, like just chatting around photography <laughs> we just have to have the permanent geek <laughs> geek siren on though um for those who aren't photographers, I hope there's been something <laughs> in this. You know, it's not been too geeky. Hopefully, and um, we try to explain the terminology as we go, but we do forget. We do forget on, on occasion. Um, I noticed as well, Ian, on your Instagram <coughs> that you've got a talk coming up on Photo Talks. Yes, I do. Yes, When's so that? Oh God! Now you put me on the spot. Does it it's not April. <laughs> it's April. It's April. It's early. I'll April, find it. I, think, I will yeah. find it. Because I think it's it's a whopping three pounds seventy five or something like that for a ticket. But it's about. Mega. Um, it's about really why people might want to choose analog and if, if they would think about going analog, how to go about it. So we talk about the different types of cameras, um, how to go about getting developing, home developing. It's just an overview, really. Um, and as you came on the, the film course I did, I did. it's basically that boiled down to, cool. to a couple of hours, I think. So it's, Cool. Um, well, it is on April the 11th. Thank you. You'll be glad to know. Thank you. Put it in your diary, Ian, <laughs> um, at 7.30 for a couple of hours. And it's all online on Zoom. It is, yeah. Uh, so it says here, the talk of the basics film photography aimed at the comfortable digital photographers, no or little experience working with film, uh, covering film versus digital and what cameras to look for, you know, all that kind of techie stuff, but also lenses, film and its properties, loads of juicy stuff. And I, as you say, I did your uh, introduction to film photography face-to-face -face course would have been i don't know four years ago yeah, or something and it was mega and that's why i played with the uh the sprocket rocket and a couple of your other really really fun film cameras and it's a whole other world and uh, i think if you are a digital photographer to to 
dip your toe into the film world is definitely something to do. And you, you've given up digital completely now, pretty much, haven't you? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about going back. Kodak have just put the prices up by 20%. Oh, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, consider going back to digital then. My I've, got, I've got quite a lot of film in the freezer and I've got a couple of projects that I wanted to do on film. Yeah. Um, but um, the R6, I find that a really nice camera to use. Yeah. And I just well, bought my first RF lens. That's the first the compliment day. we've had I, for I Canon know. on this podcast. <laughs> Do you want one? <laughs> <laughs> Is it free? <laughs> uh, no, I bought my first RF lens and I, I, I really like it. They're I mega. Really like it. They are but mega. The RF glass is epic. Th- th- these, these cameras are nice and small and, and suit my um, style of working. Yeah. So th- those things are a bit bricky and heavy. They are. Um, but... But I, I'll probably continue to go hybrid. I've, I've, I have shot film exclusively for the last four years, I think. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of moving back to more of a hybrid th- situation at the moment. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, very much look forward to seeing your continued work. Um, where can people find you if they want to look at your work on Instagram or anything? <laughs> no, like? I, think I know you don't want Instagram. the likes. <laughs> well, that's, that's just it. It's like at my, I've, I did have a website, The Ordinary Photographer. I've had a podcast. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was really just doing them for other people and not for me. So yeah. I've, I've let them all lapse. I'm on Instagram. I think it's Ian underscore C-T-E-E. Um, but I, I generally don't post there very heavily. I just I just get on and do my own, my own little thing, really. Sure. And if, if you do, um, other than the talk you do, if you do any... F- film photography sort of courses or anything in the future or this little community sort of thing you were talking about yeah. let us know and we'll, we'll we'll mention it on here as well and we'll, oh, we'll be in the queue as well to come and mm. well canon okay. timer is that a good time to call it <laughs> we'll call it there shall we yeah, yeah, uh, so thanks Ian, very much thank you thank, thank you very much really appreciate you coming in thanks music nice one that was great